Good morning, New Life. How are you guys? Okay, okay good. I'm glad. At least, at least somebody over here is good. Um, hopefully the rest of you are as well. Um, it's a pleasure and honor to be um, bringing the word this morning. I um, wanted to give Scott a, a few weeks break as he gets used to having his little one at, at home and get to spend some time there taking care of Meredith and the boys and um, I pray for him regularly because that's, that's a lot of little boys running around. Um, pray for Meredith as well because Scott really is another little boy running around. Um, pray for her regularly but I, I'm excited to um, once again bring the word and this one for this morning is a it's been a wild journey uh, studying to preach it and and my goal this morning is to not confuse you, but I am going to hit a little bit in the beginning. There's some new information. It was new information for me, but I'm, I'm trying to build a bigger point there. So if you've got questions about the point that I was making, see me after the service. Um, but this message comes from a very strange place as well. Um, it's one that I've been studying for the past several months with a, a team of people. Um, but it, it, the desire for it actually came from my daughter. Um, my daughter loves to read. There's books all over my house all the time. Um, she's got two different bookshelves, one in her room, one in the living room. And I trip over them and kick them regularly, um, especially when she sticks them under the couch and they just happen to find their way out. Um, but she loves to read. Um, and we try to give her a good mixture of books, stuff that teaches her about shapes and colors, but also books that teach her about Christ. Um, and there's one in particular that I, I can't remember who got it for um, but the first time I read it, it brought me to tears. Um, it's a book called the, Cur- or the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. It's by Carl Lafferton. And what it does is it takes Eden and ties it to the cross. It takes the Garden of Eden and ties it to the cross in a way that I'd never heard it before in my life. And so as I'm reading this book, as I'm just watching it unfold for the very first time, I just feel these tears well up in my eyes. I look at, I look at Olivia and say, I can't read this to her. I can't, I'm not going to get through it. Um, but I did, and it was one of her favorite books. We, we, we read it to her all the time, and it's, it's become one of my favorite because it, it's so simple, but it, it shares the story of redemption, and it shows, mostly it shows God's desire to restore the intimacy of the Garden of Eden back to mankind and all the different ways that he did that. And it was so simple, but it was so profound and it it, kind of blew my mind that I was getting good theology from a book written for small children and it it just, it, it really blew my mind. And so that book really motivated me to study deeper into that and that's it's where God kind of worked on my own heart to change some some of the things that I see about scripture, change some of the things that I see about how the story of redemption works, um, and to give me a deeper appreciation of everything he did to restore back to us a communion that was lost in the garden. And so that's my goal for this morning is to replicate really this book from a smaller book standpoint, um, and, and hopefully it will do the same thing for, for everyone here this morning as it did for me the first time that I read it. But we're going to pray, 
and then we're going to start up in Genesis. Father, I thank you so much for the way that you, you, you deliver truth, God, whether it be from reading scripture, whether it be through praying, whether it be through a friend, or whether it's through a children's book. God, you can radically change people's thought processes and mindsets in just the simplest forms. God, so I pray today as I, as I talk about the Garden of Eden, your perfect dwelling place with man, that I pray that it would come across clearly. God, that I would do a, a great job of articulating the scripture. God, that it would be your words, not mine. God, that your truth would shine through in this moment and this morning. God, your people, my greatest desire this morning is that your people would understand what they received back at the point of salvation. And they would see your hand moving from the beginning until today to restore that to, to anyone who comes to, to faith. God, and for the lost person that's in this room tonight or today that's, that's, that's not ever experienced that deep love and joy and peace that comes with perfect communion with you. God, I pray that this morning you would stir in their heart. That you would show them the depth of the things that they've, they're, they're missing out on. The things that they don't know. Give them a taste of the intimacy. God, draw them to yourself. Save them. Redeem them. And let them experience a love that surpasses everything else in this world. God, so be with me, be with the people in this, this room this morning, be with the ones that are listening online. God, may your word be proclaimed. And we give you all the glory and honor for it. Amen. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to be a little bit of everywhere this morning. We're going to stay in Genesis for a little bit. We're going to be in Exodus. Um, we're going to be in Second Chronicles. We're going to be in Matthew. So just follow along with me the best you can. Um, but like I said, we're going to start in Genesis. The very first chapter of Genesis, and we've, we've learned this story from VBS and from Sunday school. It's one of the ones that comes around every year. Um, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then over the next few days, he, he creates um, the waters, the skies. He creates the land. He creates the animals on the land. He creates us. This is an amazing picture of creation and God gives a command um, at the very end of, of chapter 1 uh, starting in verse 28 and I, this is crucial so I want you to get it for the next section chapter 1 verse 28 says this after everything has been created he looks at man and says it says God bless them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. And so you get this picture that God has made man and woman. And we'll get into the, the, the narrative side of the story here in a second. But he's made man and woman and their job is to go out and to cultivate and to tend the earth, to eat from all the, the, the plants, which, you know, when I read this, uh, Adam and Eve were uh, vegan, so that's something to look forward to later on. Um, eat all the bacon you can now. 
is, is my advice to you. Point one for the sermon. Um, but so he gives, him this, he gives him the whole earth. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Eat of all the trees. Go and have dominion over the birds of the air. Go and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And so their call is to fill the earth, to go explore, to go advance into the world. Remember that, that's important. But then we move to chapter 2. You've got chapter 1 that kind of tells a list-by-list story of, of how everything, and then it moves into uh, chapter 2. And chapter 1 is a poem when you read it in the original language. It's, it's very poetic in form. And then you move into chapter 2, it's a narrative. And it, the narrative starts with, you know, and it was uh, on the seventh day God rested and he made it holy. Um, and he looked at all of his creation and said, man, it's very, very good. Um, and then we move into the different telling. And so... Moses, who is writing this, um, starts to tell the story of how man and woman were specifically made. And and I want to start in verse 5. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then I want to really focus for just a second on verse 8. I really want to push here. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed. So this is a big, big, big push here. It says, God planted a garden in Eden. See, I was always taught from an early age that Eden was all of it. You know, that the Garden of Eden was all of it. That's where man dwelt. They stayed in this little confined, little fenced-off area. It was like, you know, like 40 by 40. There were some cool plants. They sat around, sang Kumbaya and chilled with Jesus. That was my thought process. But it struck me. Eden was not just the garden. And so that drew me to are asking questions about what is Eden? Because I love how Moses just drops it in here with no introduction. He says, oh, by the way, there was, you know, it, it, God planted a garden in Eden. Like all the readers would have understood what Eden already was. And the cool thing is they did. By Moses' day, when you said the word Eden, it would have been an understanding that this was God's presence dwelling on earth. The word Eden means pleasure. That's what the word means. It means pleasure. And so what happens is God has created the earth. Just to draw you a little picture. God has created the earth and everything in it in the first few days. And Eden was in all of the earth because Eden is just God's presence and everything working in perfect communion with God. That's what Eden is. It's the pleasure of God. God, this perfect pleasure. And when we think pleasure, we think, you know, our minds can tend to go to to sinful pleasure. That's not what this is. This is perfect enjoyment of the Creator. This is perfect relationship with the Father. This is everything pure and holy and reverent happening in one place, and there being nothing between us and God. There's no sin, there's no wall, there's nothing we have to do, there's no sacrifices, nothing has died at this point. And man and woman lived in this perfect harmony in the garden of Eden. So Eden is the pleasure of God. 
And so man and woman, which we found out in, in verse 1, were supposed to go and fill the earth, which means they weren't supposed to stay in the Garden of Eden. Like I said earlier, the garden didn't have these walls that they couldn't get out of. They were supposed to go and, and fill the earth. How are you going to subdue the fish of the sea if you don't ever go near the sea? How are you going to go hang out with the birds in the air if you never leave the garden to go see the different birds? How are you supposed to name all the animals if you don't go where all the animals are? So they were supposed to go and they were supposed to till the ground. They were supposed to work it. They were supposed to cultivate it. And they were supposed to go and live. But their garden remained a special place. Because we see um, into chapter 3 that the garden is where God came and spent time with Adam and Eve. It says he walked with them in the cool of the evening in the garden. And so while men and women were not meant to dwell in just the garden alone... They always came back because that's where God would walk with them. That's where God would speak with them. That's where they would have ultimate fellowship with God. They were enjoying all of creation because all of creation was screaming his name and screaming his perfection. And they could enjoy the pleasure of God because God had created the whole earth for them. But to have that one-on-one conversation time with Jesus, they always came back to the garden. It worked and operated very much like the temple where they would come and worship and make their sacrifices, and we'll get into that in just a minute. So the garden was sacred. It was holy. And there's a book that the Jewish people used. We don't use it. It's, a, it's an apocrypha book, but it's a historical book. When you think apocrypha, don't think, you know, evil heresy necessarily, but it's, it's just not inspired scripture that we would use and stand on. But it's a historical book. The Jewish... Um, people used it. There's, there's portions of it found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's, it's still an important book, and, and just to throw this out there, um, in the, the book of Jubilees 819, it's, it's talking about Noah. Noah tells his son to go towards Eden, and he calls it the Holy of Holies in God's dwelling place. And so the concept that they had, or that, that, that Jewish historians would have had, is that God dwelt in Eden. They called it the Holy of Holies, which is a direct reference to the temple and to the tabernacle and, and, and how that, um, how God kind of dwelt with his people. So that's, that's what the Garden of Eden was. It was a temple. It was that perfect place of communion. It was heaven where God dwelt and it was the most perfect pure holy place that has ever existed that's what Adam and Eve had I don't want you to lose this and and I know that's some some new information and I, I hope it didn't confuse you too much but that's what Adam and Eve had they had complete and total access to God without anything that hindered them and they were full of joy they were full of peace and they were full of love But then chapter 3. Chapter 3 changes everything. And and most of you know the story, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase because we've got a long way to go. Um, You roll into chapter 3, and the first verse says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. So enter evil, enter Satan. Satan then tempts Eve and and what he tempts Eve with is very interesting he tempts Eve with being like God says you will know good and evil like God and you will be like God and so what Satan does is he tries to convince Eve and Adam that there is a better way that God is holding out 
he tempts Eve with a greater pleasure while Eve and Adam are living in the garden of pleasure, like the ultimate pleasure. So Satan twists and turns things and says, there's a greater pleasure that God's keeping from you. So in their, in their selfish ways, they, they, they crave that, that, that there was a greater, a greater pleasure. And she eats, and Adam eats, and they instantly realize their mistake. They realize they're naked, they're covered in shame, um, they hide themselves from God and they realize that the greater pleasure that Satan promised was false, was a lie. And now they no longer lived in this perfect communion with God. They no longer lived in this perfect place because now they had a knowledge of, of, of sin, they had a knowledge of good and, and evil and they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed because the sin that they realized was that they had broke the command of God because God had commanded them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they realize their sin. And then God shows up. In verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So once again, this is where God's hanging out with them in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And, and don't miss these next few words. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. So they had gone from perfect communion, loving, running up excited about God to feeling fear for the very first time. And now they weren't excited to see God. They were, they were separate from God. They hid themselves from God. And then God says, you know, who, who told you? And then they go through this blame game where, where the woman's like, it was a serpent. And then, uh, you know, he looks to Adam and Adam's like, it was that woman that you gave me. Um, and they kind of go back and forth. And then God does something cool. Because the person who's really at fault here, or the creation that's really at fault here, is Satan. And you see God go down the list and he says Satan first because that's who is to blame. And, and, and God gives some of the, you know, some bad news, but he also gives some of the greatest news that Adam and Eve could have heard. Um, in this section, we see the first mention of the gospel. It says in verse 14 of chapter, or chapter 3, The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And this is this, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first time the gospel is ever mentioned. What, what God is saying is that Satan, you have ruined what I've created. You have come and you have, you've caused chaos in this realm of pleasure that I, I've created for man, this perfect communion, and you've ruined that. And so what's going to happen is the, the very people that you tried to curse, one of her offspring is going to come and he is going to destroy you. Though you bruise his heel, he will crush your head. And so you see the first mention of the gospel ever mentioned in the Bible right here in verse 15. And then he goes on, he, he, you know, he talks to the woman, he talks to the man. And then you see in, um, in verse 22, starting in verse 22, that 
God kind of huddles up with the Trinity um, because it says, like, let us know. So there's a divine counsel that goes on there. It says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And just a little snippet, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It doesn't say that the cherubim was holding the sword. So like I picture a big scary angel and then like a flaming sword spinning around in circles. Separate side note, but it's just interesting. Um, but God's fear now, the, the thought process there is, they now are separated from me, and there's, 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 there's no hope. Somebody has to, something has to happen to get them back in perfect communion. So we've got to kick them out of the garden because in the garden is the tree of life. And if they eat of the tree of life, they will remain in that state forever. There will be no hope. There will be no there would be no rescue or redemption. So what had to happen is they had to get out of the garden. God had to protect them. And so as we see, this is not such a bad thing. This is actually a long-term plan of God to protect his creation. And so he sends them out of the garden. And he places a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way back. And at that moment, perfect access to God is no more. Eden then leaves creation. The earth is still there, but God's pleasure, his perfect pleasure, is gone because sin has now entered the world. And what we read there on, uh, it quickly, quickly falls into disrepair. You've got Noah and, and the flood where God wipes everybody out. Quickly falls into disrepair and the way is still shut. The way is still separated. And in the children's book, to kind of cap, wrap that back in, it says it this way. It says, the angel was a reminder that it's wonderful to live with God, but because of your sin, you can't come in. And there it remained until we get to Exodus. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. So Exodus is a long way from Genesis. There's a lot of people that have lived, have died. Abraham's come. He's had his kids. His kids have had kids. His kids have had kids. Um, you go to Joseph. Joseph was in Egypt. Uh, everybody loved Joseph. Then Joseph dies. And then there's a Pharaoh that pops up that didn't know Joseph anymore, didn't know Joseph's people. And so that Pharaoh enslaves the Hebrew people. And then Hebrew people... You know, through God, you know, rise up through God throwing out all kind of crazy plagues. They leave, they cross the Dead Sea in what is an amazing story. I know I'm covering a lot of history. Um, but then they're, they're, they go and they make it to Mount Sinai where God gives Moses the law. Um, and then when you get to verse 25, he throws something out there that has not been done or said um, since the garden. And uh, verse, 20, or verse 1 of chapter 25 says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive a contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from him. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twin, or twine linen, 
goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incenses, onyx stones and stones of setting for the ephod, and for the breastplate, in verse 8, and let him make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I've shown you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So this is exciting news. God has not dwelt with his people since Eden, and God drops it on Moses and says, look, it's time. I am going to dwell with man once again. This is exciting. They're thinking, is it time? Is it time that for, for, for God to dwell amongst men and, and for him to restore creation? Is it, is it time? He's given instructions. He's explaining um, how this is going to work. And so he starts to tell them how the tabernacle is going to be built. Uh, starting in, in, in chapter 26, he gives them all these rules. And it's, it's this beautiful place. It's a tent, but it's still an amazing tent. It's got all these fixtures of gold. And it's amazing. And God says, I'm going to dwell in the innermost part called the Holy of Holies. This is where I'm going to dwell. I'm going to speak to you. And, and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be with you here on earth but there's a problem with the Holy of Holies. Look at verse 31 in, in chapter 26, sorry, 26, 31. It says this, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined, or twined linen, and it shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the class and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate you for, for you. It will separate you, the holy, of, holy place, from the most holy. So there's a veil that now stands in between the place they can go and the place that they cannot go. And on that veil, they were supposed to stitch in a cherubim. This is a direct relation back to Eden. God said, I'm going to dwell with you. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to dwell with you. But there is still something that's going to stand in between us. And there's only going to be one person that can even go in there. And it's going to only be for a certain time and certain period. And so the rest of you are still cut off from God. I'm going to be close, but I'm not going to be accessible. And I'm going to guide you and I'm going to do some awesome things for you. And this is the best I can do right now because you are still covered in sin. The cherubim still represents that it's wonderful to live with God, but because of your sin, you can't come in. This is a wonderful thing that God was going to dwell with man, but man's problem still had not been fixed. We're still covered in the sin from the garden. Man still is choosing and will always choose self and self-wisdom and self-knowledge over what God has ordained. And because of that, God is still separate from us. That's the state that, that they remained in, they stayed in. And then you've, you've got the tabernacle years that, that happen. It, it picks up and moves with them in the tent until we get to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 3. It 
2 Chronicles chapter 3, you, 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 we've got Solomon, who is David's son. And there's a lot of history that I would love to go over, but I don't have time this morning. Um, but Solomon builds, got a temple. They're finally at a place where they're in Jerusalem. They've got uh, the resources. He's like, you know what? And, and Solomon says this, or David says this, you know, I've, I live in this nice house. But God, who is far greater than I am, is living in a tent. That can't be the case. And so David asks God to build him a t- um, uh, this temple. God tells him, no, but your son's going to. And so Solomon, um, with the help of David and getting all the resources, builds God this temple. God's saying, you know, I'm going to dwell with you again. It's going to be awesome. But we find the same situation in chapter 3, verse 14. As Solomon's building the temple. It says this in verse, verse 14. It says, and he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson fabrics and fine linen and he worked a cherubim onto it. So even into the temple days, everything has been separated. There's, you still can't access God. And while the temple was beautiful and people could come into it to a certain extent, people could sacrifice, our sins still kept us from perfect communion with God. Turn to Matthew 27 and that's where we'll We'll land and we'll end. Matthew 27, we're going to start in verse 45. Throughout the Old Testament, and in, in, in this book it, it phrases it this way, because of your sin you can't come in. It's wonderful to dwell with God, but because of your sin you can't come in. And the greatest word in the Bible is but. But Jesus. And we see in, 40, in verse 45 the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, starting in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And this is Jesus on the cross. He's already lived his life. He's being crucified. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Labah, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now check out verse 51. This is amazing. And behold, the curtain of the temple, which is the veil that we've been talking about. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. See, Jesus on the cross fulfilled the crushing of the serpent's head in Genesis 3. And, and, and we lose what happens in that moment because what happens in that moment is there is no longer a separation between us and, and God. God is saying, you know, it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. But Jesus says, I have taken that sin. And because of that, all my friends can come in and experience God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus did more on the cross than just, you know, pay for our sins so we can one day go to heaven. Jesus opened up the doorway for us to have communion back with God. Jesus took our wretched, filthy rags and says, you know what, I got that. And what's more, I'm not just going to pay for your sins and, and, and keep your debt at zero. I'm going to open back the way to the Garden of Eden. 
I'm going to open it back up so you can have access to perfect communion with God. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be back where Adam and Eve were. I'm going to reverse the curse that happened in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to fix everything. When Jesus died, the cherubim did not need to be there anymore because there was no need to guard the access to God because it was free to all those that would believe in him. It was free for all those who would believe in him. And the book concludes, it is wonderful to live with God, but because of your sin, you can't come in. But I died to take away your sin so all of my friends can come in. The concept of Eden is very, very important. It's something that the Jewish writers would have been very, very knowledgeable of. It's something that the New Testament writers would have been very, very knowledgeable of. And you see it all throughout history because it's my belief that what God has been trying to restore this entire time is what man had in the garden. And you read in Revelation 21 and 22 that what's going to happen is a full restoration of the garden in the end. And that's where we will dwell with God forever. And that's awesome for the future. But for us this morning, as the band comes back up, I want us to understand and take just a second and realize that Yes, we have this great future coming, but God didn't just die for you to give you a future hope. He did. An amazing future hope. One that, that I long for. We're about, to, we're about to sing about, even so come, so we can, we can be a part of that hope. But God didn't just do that for the future. God gave that to us in part now. The moment of salvation you now have full access to the throne of God. Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne and pour out our hearts to God. And it's, he's a great high priest who understands us, who will listen to us, who will hear our hearts. And, and he's been tempted the same way that we are. We have all that access to God. We now have the same access to the communion that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Everything's been reversed and God is still reversing that curse he he Satan ruined the garden that we're supposed to all live in but God has restored that even in part now we can have and and this is probably the the most profound part of the whole thing after I studied it so God has restored to us this communion and communion was found in the garden of Eden so we have at our disposal and access we have access to these partial Eden moments, these Edenic moments. I've, I've heard my entire life, well, man, I, I can't wait to see what heaven's like. And that's, that's the wrong attitude to have. Because I believe fully that God gives Christians, one that believes in him, ones that are, that are following him, little glimpses of that as we go. You see, th- this concept that we're always sinning is not actually right. Has, has anybody ever gone five seconds without sinning? I have. I've been preaching for 30 and I don't think I've had an unpure thought or done anything wrong. I'm talking about Jesus. So I've had these moments where I've not actually been walking in sin. And in those moments, those, those moments that may be rare, we can experience this perfect connection with God. Even if they're fleeting. Even if they're just for a moment. And in those moments, in those amazing moments with God, we have these identic moments. And I think back, and, and, and this is my favorite one, there's been several through my life, but I remember sitting in a cow pasture in Nicaragua. 
and I'm worshiping with people that, that only speak Spanish. And there's a guy leading worship and he's leading worship in Spanish. And all of a sudden, I start to recognize the tune. And what I realize is they're singing Revelation songs. And I start to sing with them and, and the youth group's singing um, with us. And, and it gets to the part where it says, with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. And I wept. And I was covered and I was overwhelmed by this is it. This is it. This is the garden. This is Eden. This is what heaven is going to be like. And for a moment, God smiled at his creation and his believers and said, that's right. You see this, this moment, the joy that you feel inside your heart, that will be every single moment of eternity with me. And I've had several other moments in my life where I was going, God, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you moving in my heart. I feel you moving in this place. I feel you stirring in my soul. And God goes, get ready, big boy. That's eternity. So while we may not know what the garden looks like, may we, we may not know fully what it's going to be like to stroll in the cool of the evening with the Lord, I guarantee you that the hope that was in me, that's in me, is rooted in those moments because I know that that's going to be every single moment in my eternity. So the question that I have for you guys this morning is, is that your destination? Has the veil been cleared for you? Do you have that access to perfect communion with the Father this morning? Have you had what you were created to be restored in the process of restoration? Has that happened to you? Have you had a moment where you can look back at your life and go, now there was God? Because I believe for the Christian that we are going to have these Edenic moments if we keep looking for them, when we keep striving after God, and we keep walking with God, God is going to show up and go, I'm right here. Even in the hard times, I'm right here. Even when times don't make any sense, I'm right here. He's going to show up and he's going to give you peace. He's going to speak to you. And he's going to do works in you. And you're going to look back and you're going to go, that was Eden. So have you, have you experienced that? Do you have that connection this morning with your, with your Savior? The one who split the veil for you and gave you back access. And for those that are saved, the last time you dwelt on your Edenic moments? When's the last time you looked back and said, now there was God in my life? And are you looking for those in your day-to-day life? Some of you work jobs that you absolutely hate. But there's Edenic moments there. I'm talking to my buddy Tyler over here. You know, he works in a job that, that's hard and it's, 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 it's a struggle. But there's a guy that meets with him and tells him about Jesus almost every day, right? Tells him something. And there's moments that brother to brother, they can have joy even in a place that's a struggle sometimes. Hard work. You can find them where you are if you're looking for them. God is wanting to show you and give you glimpses of Eden and show you glimpses of heaven because he wants you to have roots in your faith. We were never supposed to have blind faith. We're never supposed to not question and not supposed to go after God with whatever we have. He said, 
I want you to see that I'm right here. I want you to see that I'm right here. I want you to see that I'm in your, your struggling marriage. I want you to see that I'm in their hard relationship with your children. I want you to see that I'm in that job that you're just working to provide food, to put it on the table. I want you to see that I'm in this sickness. I want you to see that I'm in this struggle, whatever it is in your life. He says, there's Eden in it if you will look for it and you will pursue me with everything that you've got. You will get glimpses of heaven in the deepest hells that you can ever live on this planet. So where are you at this morning, church? Have you experienced that at all? Do you need to come to, a, uh, to the altar and accept what God is already doing in your life? Or do you just need to get up and remember and be thankful for moments in your life where you get to see little glimpses of heaven? Father, move and have your way in this place this morning. Stir and, and draw. And as we sing, God, let that be the heart of the people in this room that, that, that we beg you, God, we want you fill our hearts and come back and restore that future Eden because that is what our souls are longing for on the deepest level even for those that don't realize that yet